Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. I am on the line with Mazen Gilbert. Mazen is Vice President of Advanced Technology and Architecture with AT&T. Mazen, welcome to This Week in Machine Learning and AI. Well, thank you very much for having me today. Yeah, I'm excited to jump into this conversation. You know, as is the tradition here, I like to get started by having you tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to get involved in AI projects. Well, thanks. So I started looking at AI in um, when I was just doing my graduate degree in in uh, University of Liverpool. I got fascinated in the in the mid '80s about how you could use these AI technologies to to really teach machines and computers. And at the time, computers and machines were very primitive. How you can get these machines and computers to do sort of what humans can do. They can think and and say and listen the way humans are. I thought that was extremely fascinating. It was an area that uh, it caught my passion and uh, that started my graduate degree. And, and I've been involved in AI machine learning ever since. Oh, wow. What did you do your graduate degree in? So my, my uh, graduate degree, my PhD was on artificial neural networks for uh, speech, uh, for computer speech. So basically, at the time, the problem I was trying to solve is that how do you get computers to speak like humans using artificial neural networks? Okay. And what did speak like humans mean for you in that context? It was really speak like a humans is the way that you and I are speaking today. It's the, the goal was to pass the Turing test. Okay. Is that how can you get a machine to speak to you for for so many seconds or or half a minute without you knowing that was really a machine? Clearly, in the past 30 years, of, of a lot have changed. But, but that was, at the time, computer speech was extremely very machine-like. There was a lot of promise at the time of, of artificial neural networks. Could have been, uh, could be sort of the, the new technology that can completely change that because of the association of artificial neural network with the, with the real neural networks in the brain. And that's turned out to be turned out to be true in terms of the all of the advances that are happening now with deep learning. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, it's quite ast- astronomical to see how much deep learning, which is really based on artificial neural network, how we've managed in the past thirty years to use those in a lot of different areas beyond just computer speech. Uh, they're they're very powerful tools, and I think what they've a lot of it changed in the past 30 years, but the basic, the basic algorithm, the basic technologies from the 70s and 80s are, are still in use today. And so did you go directly from grad school to AT&T? Uh, I did. So I, I actually came to, um, to visit AT&T Bell Labs in the late 80s while I was doing this work. I was really fascinated by the place. I, it was like a kid in a candy store. You know, it's, it's like um, you get to do your passion and your hobby and, and, and get paid for it, too. So it was, uh, it was really an amazing experience. I knew at the time when I met a bunch of the folks that I used to sort of know them. When I used to write these papers, they used to be like a reference in my book or a reference in my papers. And now I get to see them face to face and some of the pioneers that invented, you know, 
a lot of amazing technology and digital transformation and and transistors and others it was a it was an amazing experience and it was very clear that was the place for me and and honestly as soon, as soon as i couldn't even wait to finish my graduate degree in fact mm-hmm. i ended up doing i finished my graduate degree at AT&T Bell Labs because it was an area they were very interested in in neural networks so that's how it started oh wow wow can you give me a sense, you know, certainly AT&T and the labs are, you know, doing a, a ton of things with regards to AI. You know, how can you give us a kind of a landscape of the different areas that you're working in? Yeah, it's um, AI is um, is a very critical area for us and has been really for, for decades. It is, it's really uh, the way we think of AI. It's, um, it's a way of doing data powered smart automation. And when you think about it as it's just data-powered, smart automation, it really touches every part of our business. The machine learning side is what makes it data-powered, and the AI is what provides the smart automation. That's sort of how we think of the two and the relationship with each other. The way we look at this is that where are we spending a lot of our dollars today and that we need something, new capabilities that are disruptive in the market disruptive for AT&T, really to try to break down our cost structure and provide better experience to our customers and better products to our customers. So we've identified a number of what we call the major pillars several years back, and a lot of our activities are really focused on those pillars. And what are they? So the the pillars are, number one, is uh, infrastructure and engineering. So think of that as, as a company like AT&T that invests significantly in capital and infrastructure in building 4G and 5G and we're in the homes and we're in your devices and everything. There's a huge infrastructure that we put in place. So we spend a lot of time and capabilities in applying machine learning and AI to really do smarter investments and spending of, of building out our infrastructure. You know, where, where do we put the small cells? Where do we put the macro cells? Where do we invest more in what part of the U.S. where there is most traffic? Or we think there will be traffic over the next year to three years. So that's infrastructure and engineering. Mm-hmm. Number two is in the area of customer experience. And I think customer care and exp- customer experience is the traditional approach. As you know, the whole industry went into that with AI when they, when they, started, using, when they started using speech recognition and right. speech synthesis uh, and some natural language processing to start doing part of what humans would do today, at least some of the basic things of, let's say, understanding the intent of the customer and routing the customer. So we're doing a lot of that and have been doing that for chat, for for voice, for internet, for email, basically the customer experience side of, of, of the game. The third pillar that we also invest a lot of time is obviously security. And when you look at the, the size of AT&T, and we are we we provide our customers with with a secure network, both consumer and, and enterprise. And those hackers are becoming smarter and smarter. And so that we we have to apply the less the best and the latest technologies to identify even trends or or patterns of an initial attack to any of our customers or to our network, so we can address that quickly before it becomes um, a big issue. And there are millions of those that are attempted every 
hour of the day. So that's a third area. The, the, the fourth area is our network and operation. As you know, we run one of the most complex networks in the world. And that network has evolved over the past century since the invention of, of, of the telephone. You can imagine that there is a lot of push to try to make it zero touch, to make it completely automated, to make it completely software defined. So there's a lot of work we do in that area. And the last one I will mention is, is sort of um, the area where we look for revenue and new revenue opportunities. So uh, we apply AI and machine learning for advertising, media analytics, and for a lot of our, in the future, a lot of our enterprise businesses that they sell to customers, whether it is to do with the Internet of Things, whether it's to do with smart cities, healthcare, the opportunity space is big. AT&T is a very diverse company. And mm-hmm. as you can imagine, there are a lot of opportunities there. That is a ton of stuff. <laughs> so in, in your role, like what's, the, what's your specific organization's responsibility with regard to you know, these five pillars? Is it you know, staying ahead of kind of where this technology is going and then feed it, feeding it back to businesses? Or are you building out projects and products that the, these businesses can take advantage of? How do you think of the, the role of, of your business? So it's, it's along the line of what you said. I, I lead an organization, uh, the advanced technology and architecture. This is the research arm also for AT&T. And part of my responsibility is to ensure AT&T is always one step ahead and two steps ahead. So mm-hmm. it's not just um, understanding the technology, but also understanding where are the opportunities and the applications where we could provide value add to our customers and better products and services to our customers. That is part of my organization, part of the job that we do. But beyond that, it's also about... One thing I think you're just striking about all the pillars I mentioned, we're not a company trying to build an application for AI. We're not trying to build a voice personal assistant and make it available to our customers. We're not. Right, right. The the use of AI and machine learning for us is across many different services, many different opportunities where we spend billions of dollars today in each of these pillars. So there are not just 10 or 20 but they're literally in the thousands of applications where AI machine learning is required. So part of my responsibility is to make sure that we can scale and that no, mm-hmm. each of these applications is not yet another service, new technology, new operation of its own. We have to provide some harmonization to make sure that all of these thousands of applications, when we get there, they all are built on a common platform, common technology, common capability. So as technology evolves, you are benefiting everybody. You're not building just a silo application for one set of users. One of the challenges in building platforms when we're so early in the technology cycle is that it's not clear what the pieces of that platform need to be. How are you addressing that and other challenges that you run into given, you know, the the scale that you described and the fact that you're trying to apply AI very broadly across these thousands of opportunities? That's really a great question. It's it, You're absolutely right. I, I think that, you know, although the technology behind machine learning and AI have been 
brewing for for decades, but we are just at the tip of the mountain, touching that that sort of our initial. We're getting just a flavor of well, where are all the opportunities? Until you understand all the opportunities. It's hard to say. Well, here is the platform that's going to support all these opportunities. So you're absolutely, right. absolutely right. So the way we're looking at this is sort of a little different. We're looking at this coming in, saying, "Well, you are absolutely right," and we have to enable the technology is going to continue to change. There's going to be new applications. There's going to be new tools. There's going to be new capabilities. The way we need to think about the platform, we have to build an open platform. It's got to be an open platform that enable rapid innovation, not just within AT&T, but within the global ecosystem. And it's a platform in which that our vendors and our suppliers and our partners are part of the development of this platform, part of the ecosystem. It's we are all sort of joining hands together to building sort of harmonizing the core foundation behind AI across the world, it's because every company out there have the same challenge, the same issue, and every company is going to end up doing their own thing unless we really build the foundation platform to be open and transparent. And now I came across a reference on your website to Acumos. Is that you know a platform or the platform that uh, you're describing? That is absolutely right. So, so how this started is that when um, about a year ago, when we were looking at the applications AT&T has deployed or about to deploy in AI and machine learning, there were tens of, at least the ones that I have tracked, I'm sure there are plenty more. The one I've managed to track, there are tens of applications already deployed or about to mm-hmm. be deployed. When I looked at those, is sort of every application supported by every business unit is different. It's different technology, different vendor, different tools, different operational support. And it was very clear that it just, if if this is the direction we're going as a company, and we absolutely are, it's just not possible to scale. It's it's mm-hmm. straightforward to build one or to build two. But to go and build now and scale 20 and take 20 to 2,000, you can't. It's just not possible without having some commonality, okay? Mm-hmm. So, so Acumus was really born as a result of that, uh, thinking of AT&T as a customer, not as a builder of a platform. It was really built to trying to solve three key problems that AT&T was, was being challenged. And we just discovered since then is that pretty much most companies are being challenged by those three problems. The first problem is, there are a lot of tools out there for machine learning and AI. And, right. you know, you know, wait another week and somebody else is going to come out with another tool, you know. And we love some of these tools. They're ve- some of them are very specialized in some markets. Some of them are specialized by the company. They're great tools. There's no one size fits all. So the first problem we wanted to solve, even within AT&T, we found out many people are using many tools. First, we tried to force everybody to use one tool. We actually put put out, you know, two, three years ago, an open source tool for machine learning and uh, statistical modeling called rCloud. And we were hoping to force everybody in AT&T to use it. And frankly, we failed. We ended up finding some people use it and some people like to use other tools that's you not know, even built by AT&T. 
Okay, right. so so we, we sort of we sort of uh, uh, moved away from that approach, and we decided that the problem we need to solve with this Acumus number one, Acumus need to harmonize across all the tools. So if I use tool A, and you use tool B, even though we may not be working with each other, we may not even be talking to each other, but the output of my tool A and the output of your tool B need to be like Legos and not snowflakes, okay? Mm-hmm. These things have to connect. These things have to have to sort of interoperate with each other, not being sort of every tool is its own silo. So that's number one thing that Acumus is, is attempting to sort of solve, and that's the problem we're trying to solve there, uh, okay. harmonization. The second problem we were trying to solve is that, and I think you know this very well, is that to build machine learning models or algorithms, it's very difficult. It's not easy to do. People talk about hiring PhDs and people with graduate <laughs> degree. Well, how many of them are there today? And how many companies require that skill set? Okay. Everyone has been talking about lowering the barrier, making it easier. But you know what? It's never has been easier. It's difficult. It's difficult to do. It requires some extensive understanding of the data. It requires extensive uh, cleansing of the data. It requires you learning about some deep technologies, understanding what a, an ROC curve is, what a type 1 error, what a type 2 error is. It allows you to understand what is a, a gradient descent in neural network is. These are very deep things. And, and unless you go and take some deep courses and, and play with your favorite tool, whether it's scikit-learn or TensorFlow or ca- CAFE or whatever – you're not going to learn this, okay? And that's what they do in graduate degrees. So the, the second problem we wanted to solve with Acumus was that we need to lower the barrier to entry so that if Mazin goes and build a model, and maybe Mazin takes weeks, uses GPUs and takes weeks to build that model, but then if Sam wants to go and use that model, it should be available in the marketplace. You should just grab and use and plug into somewhere. And so that the second thing Acumus provides is a marketplace. Is a marketplace that says, think of like the app store. I can go somewhere. I can see what everybody else has built worldwide. And I could look at the review, the rating, and I can pick what I want. I don't have to rebuild it. We don't have to rebuild everything from scratch. It's very expensive to rebuild. We have to be thinking about reuse and improve as opposed to rebuild. So that's why it's the Acumus Marketplace. But what we do in the Acumus Marketplace is more than an app store. What it does also, it says, if, if I built something and Taylor built something else, then her capability and mine are microservices that we can just join together. Okay, we can actually put those two together like Legos. Okay, you can come in and connect what she has and what I have from the marketplace, create a new application that didn't exist before. So these applications, these microservices are interoperable. And the third thing we wanted to solve is to say, when you build the model with any tool you want, I want to be able to deploy this model with any cloud and I want it to be minutes And I don't want to learn what a Docker container is. I don't want to learn what Jenkins job is. I don't want to learn what a Jira ticket is. I want, and I don't want to learn the internals of a third-party cloud. It should be really like 
I build it, I submit, and it takes me all the way to it's running on a third-party cloud. That's sort of, again, what Acumus is trying to do. Okay. There's a ton in there to dig into. I noticed on the Acumus page that there's an affiliation with the Linux Foundation, or at least a project. I'm assuming the project is being kind of managed under the Linux Foundation. Does that mean that, or taking another step back, it sounds like a lot of the things that you described are, you know, almost outside of the realm of, you know, what we think about when we think of traditional AI machine learning tooling. It's, you know, more like the kinds of concerns that platform as a service has come along to try to help with. Is the implication of that in the Linux Foundation involvement that this is built on Cloud Foundry or is taking a similar approach? So number one, you hit the nail on the head. This is Acumus is not competing with the tools, the many tools that's out there today. In fact, Mm -hmm. we want to encourage communities and companies to innovate and building the next big, better algorithm. You know, how do you do deep learning now with a thousand layers instead of 20, 30 layers? Okay. How do you have trillion of neurons as opposed to a billion of neurons. We absolutely want companies and communities and industries and universities to innovate. We're trying to fill a gap, a gap that every company in the world, if they want to seriously look at AI and machine learning, they have to fill. And today that gap is so large that you can hire the best PhDs and you still will never be able to scale deployment, adoption, and improvement of AI and machine learning services. Linux Foundation, we have a, an incredible relationship with the Linux Foundation. We, we co-created Acumus with uh, a partner of ours, Tech Mahendra, and we're hosting it under the Linux Foundation. Linux Foundation will host the marketplace and the platform, and we will work with the Linux Foundation to grow a community of companies and institutions and universities to really co-create together the foundation of how we want to you know, scale and adopt AI globally. So, so we are already in discussions with a number of companies. So we don't consider this as an AT&T or a Tech Mahindra effort. We consider that we've started a seed and the Linux Foundation is going to help to grow that seed and really build a lot of beautiful trees with the help of a larger community. Mm. This isn't the, the first time we've seen things like this. It really reminds me a lot of, for example, what Intel was trying to do with their TAP platform. I don't know if you've ever come across that, but it's, I'm not even sure they're still working on that. It's a huge problem where you're taking these, you know, trying to integrate, you know, these many, many disparate components, like lots of tools. In their case, I think they also built it on Cloud Foundry and then they had Hadoop and a bunch of data lake stuff underneath you know, and these are all, you know, very complex enterprise technologies. They're all evolving very rapidly in their own different directions. You know, I guess my question is maybe pushing back on the on the whole idea of doing this. Like, why do you think you can succeed at this? It's such a, a Herculean task and so many have tried and failed. It's a great question. And frankly, that if we don't solve this problem, we don't solve this problem worldwide, the adoption 
of what you see in the media about AI and machine learning is very limited. It's going to be limited to a few companies who can afford to do it, a few companies who have the expertise, and a few companies who can build one or two applications here and there. Okay? We have to solve this gap. It is a big gap. You're absolutely right. Okay? But I'll tell you what we are doing that's very different. And we have experience in this. Five years ago, we started with just as a big challenge as this one, as Acumus, which is we decided to completely convert the AT&T century uh, sort of young network that's been developed over many, many decades. We decided to completely move that to a software-defined using the best technology in SDN and, and virtualize the network function. So this is like the core of the network. You're now saying, I can build the core of a network like a web company where everything is software running on a cloud environment, commodity cloud hardware. That's just not possible. Well, we went through that avenue and, and we started deploying that three years ago. But we realized a year ago, there's something missing in here. What's missing is that we've invested significantly to making that happen. Hundreds of people, a lot of expertise. Other companies can't do that, okay? And other mm-hmm. operators cannot do that. And, and just having us doing something and operators are not, that's going to compromise the experience. That's going to also compromise the cost to the end customer. We need all operators, all vendors to be part of this. And so we made it open source under the Linux Foundation and there's something called ONAP. And in the short seven months we've been at this journey this year, we have 50-plus companies. We have 1,400 technical people co-developing from these companies. And we cover 55% of the global sub. These are the operators, the China Mobiles, the China Telecom, the Vodafones, the Orange, and Bell Canada, and, and many of the brands that you basically hear about. We've cracked the code that the way to do it is that if we can all chip in and if we all can build build it together, we can create something better than any one company trying it on their own. This is what we're trying to do, the same thing here with Acumus. This is if AT&T ends up the only one or AT&T and Tech Mahindra, the only one doing this, it will fail. I'll just tell you that flat face, okay? Mm-hmm. But what's going to be different in here, that's not what we're seeing from the companies we're talking to already. I can tell you that right now. What we're seeing is a tremendous momentum. They all realize the big gap. They all realize the big challenging gap that you're talking about. And by having a community come together and each of the companies chip into what they believe is important to them. So we will come in and say, well, what's going to work on our, our, our native cloud environment? And it's got to work on a couple of third-party cloud that has to work. And it's got to do X, Y, and Z. Other companies are coming in with slightly similar what different also attitude. Bringing it all that together is really what's going to crack this. It's, um, it's not going to be AT&T. It's going to be a community building it together. All attempts that's happened in the past, it's been one company trying to do it, trying to boil an ocean. What we're doing in here, there's no one company in the world can do it. It has to be a community, a global community effort. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, so you mentioned ONAP. This is maybe going a little bit deeper down this rabbit hole, but what's the relationship between ONAP, which I hadn't heard of, and uh, OpenStack? I'm fairly familiar with AT&T's involvement 
over the years in OpenStack and in particular working to build NFV uh, deployments on top of OpenStack? Yeah, the two are, are really like brothers and sisters. They're okay. complementary and brothers and sisters. OpenStack is the, uh, we are a, a big user of OpenStack. We've built our AT&T integrated cloud platform based on OpenStack. So we take OpenStack, we are we're, we're a, a significant part of OpenStack as part of the board as well. Mm-hmm. We ingest OpenStack and we build our AT&T cloud. And what we, this is what we use as the infrastructure to virtualize our network functions. So when I'm talking about virtualizing the network functions, moving our network to software-defined, it's all using our cloud and, and a, a sort of a hybrid cloud of our cloud and third-party cloud. And OpenStack is a big part of that. ONAP is that once you have that, once you have these network functions and you have your cloud environment, well, you need to orchestrate these network functions. You need to automate the design and the testing and the deployment of those network functions. You need to do lifecycle management of these network functions. Something could go wrong. There could be a threat. There could be a failure. So, so that is what ONAP does. It's a it's an orchestration automation platform for both uh, virtual and physical network functions and lifecycle management. Uh, the two go together. You need ONAP on top of OpenStack and uh, or AT&T integrated cloud to really try to virtualize these functions. Acumus and AI is the the a key sort of a, a key enabler to enable both the cloud and the ONAP to automate functionalities that are machine learning data-driven. So if ONAP comes in and says, I want to use data-driven capabilities to predict there's going to be a failure in the network in a particular location for a particular customer an hour from now, that's where machine learning and Acumus comes in, is creating these predictive sophisticated capabilities to to make the ONAP and and the integrated cloud data-driven and predictable and have a predictive capabilities. Mm. Actually, very keen on digging a little deeper into some of these network and operations use cases, but I do have one question on Acumus before we do that. I noticed or didn't notice the lack of on the Acumus page a link to like a GitHub repository or something like that. What what stage is Acumus in? Is it a vision or is there more something more tangible to it today that folks can uh, get access to? You always start with a vision, but what it is, it's not just a vision. If it was a vision, then we wouldn't be having the conversation. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> it's um, We believe you have to have something real, but this is a community effort. You know, like you said, technology is changing a lot. But there's some basic foundation you have to build. So what we've done is we announced this a couple of weeks ago or whatever, 10 days ago. Next week, uh, literally next week, we're moving all the software to the Linux foundation. We've built the software. We've built you know, the seed capabilities of everything I talked to you about. Okay, The seed software of everything I talked about is being built. And we're moving it to the Linux Foundation next week. We believe that the Linux Foundation, they're going to set it up and, and, and set up their CI/CD environment and testing environment. Mm-hmm. 
by December, mid-December, we believe, and again, that's up to the Linux Foundation to make it available. But initially, it will be available for friendly uh, companies who are going to be joining the project. And early next year, in one queue next year, it's going to be available to the public. Okay. Uh, well, I'll definitely be following along. It sounds like a, an interesting pro- project and I can definitely, you know, there's no question, you know, that the the need is there, but it's, you know, again, kind of, it's, it's a huge challenge. So network and operations, I think the, maybe the most famous, you know, maybe the most public kind of proof point, example point here is some of the work that Google has done in this area where they showed that they were able to reduce their costs of, I don't remember if it was the overall cost of data center operations or their the heating and cooling costs by some 40%. This is going back a year and change ago. That's certainly, you know, certainly there are huge opportunities there for AT&T. How are you attacking that space? Yeah, it's a, it's a key space for us. So number one, we probably have more data centers than than many companies that I know today in the United States. We own different types of data centers from small to large to support our customers. So when you start thinking about how does this all come together, first, is that all the capabilities in these data centers first have to be software. They have to be software running on cloud commodity hardware. If you don't do that, then it's pretty much difficult to do anything else, including artificial intelligence and Acumus. You can't unless you move to a software world. And we've been doing that for the past five years. And that's part of this ONAP effort that I just talked to you about. We are basically going in that direction. But where we are applying the technology in our data centers, and we will continue to doubling down in this space from a machine learning perspective and an AI perspective is not just about energy consumption, which is the example that you gave, although that by itself is a big opportunity. I don't want to minimize that. But there are tremendous inefficiencies one can apply machine learning and AI to, to really do something cheaper, faster, and better. And combine that with human expertise, you could really sort of combine the best of both worlds to doing something that we just can't even do today. So, so we're not just applying it to looking at energy saving, but there are tremendous opportunities in terms of operating these data centers. There are many functions in these data centers. Just think of, you know, we as a network company, we support the world here. And there are switches, there are routers, there are uh, firewalls. This is the core, core of our network of how packets go from A to B. That's sort of the, mm-hmm. the basics here. All of these have to be automated and it has to be done in such a way that is intelligent. So I'll give you a simple example, okay? At every second of the day in the United States, traffic changes, And in some cases, we know and we predict that. In some cases, we don't know. Suddenly, there is a big event happening in a particular location, a particular city, in a particular corner that just doesn't happen any day or any year, okay? So part of what we're applying machine learning and AI is to really 
dynamically configure our network and our resources around the clock. So I, I use this metaphor as that think of like we're building a virtual city, that's the United States, where we have limited capacity, but the roads, the roads can become narrower or wider as long as the physical space is the same. And how wide or narrow you make that is can change every second of a day. And that's what we're using machine learning and AI to say, well, how much capacity can I put in that second of a day there? Because we're predicting some traffic is going to be there over the next one hour or five hours, okay? And where do mm-hmm. I take capacity from? But imagine doing that and optimizing that around the clock. That's a big, big undertaking. So that's just one other example where we're applying these capabilities. Mm-hmm. Are there uh, some other specific examples or use cases that come to mind within the context of network and ops? Yeah. So, uh, so another example is that, so imagine a firewall goes down. What do you do? Well, in the old days, you it's failed. Somebody has to literally go there, has to remove it, put a new device in there, new firewall, okay? And plug everything in, test it, makes it work. Could take days, could take weeks, depending if there are extra... Uh, hardware available, etc. Today, that's completely different. It's um, number one, I can spin up that firewall or that switch at any point of the day, okay, in any location. That's number one. That's the that's the vision of what we're going after. And we started already executing on that vision. We're reaching about 55% of our target network in terms of virtualization by the end of this year, okay? Mm-hmm. So now, once I can put these capabilities there, The problem happens is that, okay, well, what happens now if it goes down? Well, what we're implementing today is what we call it an AI closed loop, which means that we have the capability of extracting data from this, let's say, firewall. We're able to process and this data using machine learning. We're we're able to predict if there are some failures maybe happening or some degradation. We are able to apply policies to say, okay, well, we know there's something going on that's bad. Okay, we know the driver is this. What do I do? It could be that, well, reboot the firewall. Okay, and then we need an action to go and take that action. Okay, today, that's a manual effort. Tickets are, are, are being, you know, we develop tickets, thousands of tickets around the clock, hoping that a human, is, an expert is going to look at those tickets and take an action. But really, a good portion of those tickets are things we already know. We've learned from the data. We know what's a good action, what a bad action. That's where AI comes in, is learning the good action from the bad action and being able to automate and do this closed loop in a completely automated way, which could be reboot. It could be just move the traffic. There's something chronic about the device. Move the traffic and stand the traffic, stand the the applications in another device or another firewall and that's sort of, um, again, you can think of the same thing we're doing with security. There are many, many applications like this we are investigating today. From a, taking a step back from a portfolio perspective, how do you kind of manage the investments across all of these various opportunities that you have? Yeah, that's a good, great question. I mean, it's uh, number one, the reason why we are building a, a platform. We've done this for our virtualized cloud. Companies are doing that too for their virtualized cloud. Uh, We're doing this for our 
orchestration and automation platform, the, the, the ONAP and what we call it Ecom inside AT&T. We're doing this for machine learning and AI. First, you've got to make sure the foundation is built once, developed by a community in an open, transparent way, but it's built once and evolved. It's not changed every, every time from an investment that's just prohibitive. Okay, that's number one. Number two, you know, anything that sits on top of that investment, we're sort of making sure it is software and making sure that you could take an investment that we already have and drive that cost down with this new world of machine learning and software. So, so every opportunity I talk to you about, it's not a, it's not a vision and it's not something we would like to do. It's something we're doing today because there is billions of dollars. We have a business case that says, if we do this through software and through ONAP and through machine learning, we can save 50% of the cost. And so we're going after those where there are billions attached and where the technology and the business case shows we can really shave a lot out of these investments, whether it's capital investments or expense. Uh, Certainly AT&T has more resources available to it than many companies, but those resources nonetheless are not unlimited. What are the biggest challenges that you're finding in attacking you know, your, your wish list. I'm imagining that you've got way more places that you'd like to apply this technology than you can actually take on at any given time. Yeah. I mean, and beyond the, the platform is, is a gimme. Like we've talked about that. And I totally agree that, you know, in the situation that you've described, like building out a platform that lowers the barrier to entry for other business, you know, other parts of the organization to, uh, build on top of, you know, is a great place to start. But then what, you know, what are the other, you know, barriers that if you can figure out how to fix those, you would be able to accelerate your, your adoption? So number one is that every company and we're no different has limited resources. And that's number one. Number two, we're not doing it alone. We cannot do it alone. Independent of, even if you have the resources, it's, you need the skill set in subject matter expertise in different areas, network expertise in functions that we may have some, but not others. We, we're, we're, the challenge here is ensuring the ecosystem we work with, the suppliers, the vendors, the partners that we do active engagement with today, all of us are working with the same framework, with the same DNA, with the same sort of platform. That is really how it's a win-win for everybody. So that's number one challenge. There's, we've, we've done a lot of progress in that, which led us to where we are today. But mm-hmm. that is definitely a challenge is getting everybody to go into sort of one path and using something common. Imagine that if, if every car manufacturers build their car without any specifications, without any sort of blueprint, it's going to be very expensive. But today... All cars come with literally sort of four wheels, maybe. They have a steering. They have a seat. There are some expectations that every car has to have, but every car manufacturers compete differently. Well, imagine if that was not the case. If there were no specifications, then every car has to be built so differently from scratch. It costs a lot of money to build that car. Today, that's not the case, and, and, and car manufacturers have managed to get all their sort of suppliers and vendors to align. We're trying to do the same thing here. 
This is a journey. AT&T is a leader in this journey from the networking side. Uh, you know, when you look at all the operators, we went to open source also to bring in other operators into this game and work with them together so that it is, it, it's a win-win for both of us. But that's a key challenge is, is harmonization, which is lead us to the, the relationship we have with the Linux Foundation as a partner to help us drive harmonization worldwide. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you certainly shared a lot of jewels with us. Are there any other thoughts that you'd want to uh, share with the audience on, you know, if, if they're trying to figure this all out, maybe where they should start or what, what they should do or any other thoughts on, I guess, any, any thoughts that you'd like to, to close us out with? Sure. So, so number one, I, I think that uh, no matter which company you're from and, and no matter what investment you have, don't build your own thing. You have to decide what is, what is a value add to your company and a competitive edge for you versus something that is really should be just mainstream. So number one is that be part of an open source movement. Uh, join us in the networking side. Join us in ONAP. If you are in the machine learning AI side, don't invest in your own silos. You know, join us in a in, in a community so that your investment is multiplied by a factor of a hundred with other people's investments. Uh, don't do it alone. Uh, that's that's sort of number one. It's um, it's be part of the open source and really keep your secret sauce. But trying to use your investment plus others to build something that's phenomenal. Number two is as we build the foundation all together, I think sky is the limit in terms of the applications. We're just touching the surface of that. I know everyone talks about things like voice recognition and and facial detection. These are wonderful. These are great applications. Research in these applications started three, four decades ago. If you go back to the 70s, 80s, that's how it started. And today we are at a point where we can commercialize. But there are a lot of opportunities of applications we haven't even thought of, okay? Applications, especially as we get to 5G and the Internet of Things and Edge Cloud and applications that that none of us uh, have even conceived they existed. We would love to expedite that innovations and that inventions and we would love everyone to to really be part of the movement and not to take a a sideline and watch it's a it's a, this is a big movement this is going to change the, the 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 future of the industry worldwide get involved oh that's great that's great well mazen thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us this afternoon thank you and it's my pleasure really appreciate the invitation look forward to talking to you in the future All right, everyone, that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening and for your continued feedback and support. For more information on Mazin or any of the topics covered in this episode, head on over to twimlai.com slash talk slash 78. To follow along with this AI Summit series, visit twimlai.com slash AI Summit. Of course, you're encouraged to send along your feedback or questions to us by leaving a comment right on the show notes page or via Twitter to at Twimalai or at Sam Charrington. Thanks again to IBM Power for their support of this series. For more about the IBM Power Systems platform for enterprise AI, visit twimalai.com slash IBM Power. 
Thanks once again for listening and catch you next time.